Hello to all out there listening to my radio show. Gods and goddesses, welcome. I hope you're doing all right. I'm doing good. It's a beautiful Saturday evening here in San Antonio. The sun's gone down. There's still a little bit of light in the skies. There's a little bit of chill in the air. It's going to be getting colder. The 18th of December, and I think by the 21st, it should be getting even colder. In fact, they predicted the temperatures going down into the 30s on Monday and Tuesday. Just right on time. Here in South Texas, it seems that the change of the seasons always arrives on time, if you know what I mean. And then come 21 June, on the first day of summer, no doubt it will be sweltering hot like it usually is. Hold on just a minute. If you've listened to my shows before, you know that I might take a break for a few seconds to let one of our dogs in or let them out here in the patio. I'm in an enclosed patio in the back of our house. Anyway, my show is called Gods and Goddesses because I believe that we are all gods in the making. Yes, because our lives here on Earth have an expiration date. You know, sometimes it could be way out into the future. Sometimes close, you know. You could live to be 100 years old. You could live to be 5 years old or 20 or 40 or 60. So it's an incredible thing going on. And I'm constantly amazed at just how great of a situation we're all a part of here on this beautiful planet, which is revolving around the sun, rotating on its axis, in a galaxy that's rotating around the center of the universe. So thank you for joining my show. I'm going to talk about a couple of books this evening. I was thinking of renaming my show Soul Love. Do you like that? Soul Love. I saw a woman today when I was driving home from working out this morning, and I'm a person that likes to go and exercise at least once a day. I like to walk, run, and sometimes I run very fast because it's good for the body. There are many benefits to sprinting, you know, whether it's 100 meters or 200 meters. And you can check it out on the Internet, you know, the many benefits. And I've been doing that for quite a few years, but I also like walking, so I've combined the two. The walk-run method, Jeff Galloway invented that, they say, but I kind of invented it myself, too, because I don't run for distances. I just I walk, and then I sprint, walk, sprint, walk, sprint, that kind of thing. I might slow down every once in a while, and occasionally I'll do a one-mile run. So I was coming back from working out today. Also, um, we had lunch, my wife and I and my stepdaughter and two grandchildren. had a nice lunch at a Thai restaurant. And I went shopping at HEB, the chain of grocery stores here in South Texas, and picked up some stuff. So anyway, I go by this woman. She's outside and looked like either her husband or somebody that she knew was changing the tire of a car parked on the side of the street. And as I drove by, I looked at her, and she looked like a really tough woman. Her, the way she looked at me, her eyes, I could tell her. she was a really tough person. And I thought, you know, that's all right. I love her. I just love her soul. 
doesn't matter how people look at you. You know, I just, I love them and I respect them for who they are, you know. Not everybody's perfect and not everyone's having the best day all the time, you know. We need to love each other, adore each other. I don't know why we can. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. At this time of year, Christmas time, you know, there's talk about peace and goodwill to men. I'm going to talk about peace and read from a book about an abduction by a man who was taken aboard this spaceship by a race of extraterrestrials who are supposedly the dominant species in the universe, a very extremely advanced technologically and spiritually and, and just super intelligent, right? Anyway, you know, read from that and also read from this book about heaven and... That is a load of spirituality. And you got to give me credit, right? It takes a lot of courage to talk about this kind of stuff, but I think I'm an advanced soul, so I can do that. And, you know, we've been through a lot of war in our past, so there's always time, always space for some of the other stuff. And I take it to the extreme. And some of the things I talk about may be hard to listen to, just like Jesus when he had his earthly ministry, especially when he talked about you have to eat my body and drink my blood to understand me, you know, and also remember me throughout the years. And he had a lot of followers then, but some turned away and said, teachings are too hard. And so I consider my radio show kind of like teachings. I'm sharing what I know, and I tell you that what I am sharing with you is the truth. Everyone's entitled to their opinion, and what I say is the truth. And that's what I focus on. That's what I've focused on for years now, all the research I've done. I've only concerned myself with what is the truth. So before I start reading from these two books, I'd like to sing a song which is appropriate for this time of the year, and it's called O Holy Night, and it's a cappella, and it goes like this. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining, it is the night. Of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, oh, hear the angel voice. 
accomplished singer, let me give you some advice if you're interested in being an accomplished singer, too. Sometimes you have to... What shall I say? How shall I say it? Um, make things up. And that's okay. You know what I mean? So, rejoice. Be happy. Don't worry. So this book I'm going to read from, now I'm going to talk about peace, right? Peace on earth. Is it possible, my friends? Is peace on earth possible? That's a good question. Considering our past, where we've come from, all the wars, have we reached the stage where now peace is possible? Well, I'm going to read from this book, and hopefully this will help by putting these words out into the atmosphere to realize that possibility of peace. Just my contribution with positive thoughts in that regard, which you are capable of, too, and you should help to make the world a better place also 
by having your own radio show on BBS Radio, you can do that, right? Because it's like when we reach that day when we transition to the other side and we graduate from this existence, hopefully we'll graduate with honors, if you know what I mean. That is the objective, my friends. And I encourage you to develop yourself spiritually so that you will graduate with honors in this university of the universe, this level of learning on this planet of a certain evolutionary category that houses all of these souls, these billions of souls making their way through that evolutionary process through reincarnation, to be born again, born again on another planet elsewhere in either our galaxy or another galaxy, my friends. And that's the truth. So, speaking about peace, we have to talk about war. And... This man who was abducted, his name is Philip Kraft, K-R-A-P-F. He was an editor, an editor on the L.A. Times Metro desk for 25 years. He shared in winning a Pulitzer Prize in the 90s, covering the L.A. riots of the early 90s. He retired. He had this experience. Why? Because he was chosen by the extraterrestrials because he was a great journalist. If you read his book, The Contact Has Begun, he's got some other books, too. The contact has begun. He is an excellent author, and he's funny, and just the way he writes is incredible. So I'm going to read from this chapter 8 called The Verdant War Machine. The Verdants are the extraterrestrials, and it goes like this. What's up? I had asked John. Remember when you asked me if I had ever been in a fight? I want to talk to you about that. The answer is yes. I have been in many fights. But I have never drawn blood, nor have I ever inflicted pain or injury among another living creature. No verdant has for eons. A neat trick, I said, is how do you fight somebody without blooding his nose or getting your own bloodied? You play chess, he asked. Just barely, I said. How would you describe a chess match? Well, let's see, I said. I guess you could say that chess is a civilized game played by cultured ladies and gentlemen matching wits. Partly right, Gus said, who is the extraterrestrial. Chess is a game played by cultured people pretending to be engaged in a gentlemanly contest of intellect, but whose real purpose is to outwit their opponent to such a humiliating and degrading point that the rival will never speak to them again. It is barbaric, and yet no noses are bloodied, as you say. Remind me not to play chess with you, I said. If there is only one message that you take back to your people, Gus continued, because he knew that Philip would write this book, that was the plan, to share all this knowledge about we live in a universe teeming with life, right? 
It is imperative that they understand that the burdens are a peaceful race, completely and totally lacking in aggressive tendencies. We are not conquerors or warriors. Your people must understand that. They must not fear us. However, in the early stages of their development, the burden did have some preliminary aggressive tendencies, he said. Archaeological finds and fossil records indicate that some verdant individuals died of wounds that could only have been inflicted by primitive weapons, such as clubs and crude stone knives. In addition, even their earliest recorded history shows vestiges of internecine conflict. That's a tongue twister. Although such destructive activities have been a thing of the past for eons, no verdant warship has ever been built, let alone gone into space. There are no verdant armed forces, and there have not been any for several million years. The only weapons of destruction exist in verdant museums. Not even defensive weapons, I asked. What happens if you come across a warlike species that is already in space before you discover them? How would you defend yourself? Absolute intelligence is the ultimate weapon against which there is no adequate defense, even by the most aggressive and advanced military power, Gus said. He didn't explain the term, but it seemed self-explanatory. I imagine that absolute intelligence meant exactly that the absolute limit where no intellectual improvement is possible. This definition would be confirmed later. I thought I had Gus there. Maybe I could beat him at chess after all. I mentally moved my queen to put him in check. Ah, well, what happens if this armed and ferocious species also has achieved absolute intelligence, I asked. Now you're facing an enemy that is as intelligent as you, but he has a weapon and you have none. Doesn't that put you at a disadvantage? A contradiction in terms, Gus replied. Species resort to war and conflict when they lack the intellect to resolve their differences through peaceful means, Gus told me. Once absolute intelligence is achieved, use of force to settle disputes is out of the question because it is a tool of the ignorant and the inferior. Therefore, it is impossible to meet a warlike species with absolute intelligence. The two qualities are mutually exclusive. That is, if the species is warlike, it has not achieved absolute intelligence. If it has achieved absolute intelligence, it cannot be warlike, thus explained. You said you've been in bloodless fights before, I said. What did you mean? In their explorations of the universe, the Verdants have on occasion encountered heavily armed hostile species that have already become star travelers by the time they are discovered, Gus said. Without relying upon military weapons, the Verdants surreptitiously move their chess pieces into place and proceed to force the aggressive species out of space 
and back to their home planets. They become effectively isolated and neutralized until such time as the species evolve to the point where they can be safely absorbed into the intergalactic federation of sovereign planets. I don't see how you can do that, I said. They have their guns. We have our wits, he replied. He told me of one particular situation several thousand years ago when he himself was commanding an exploration starship and came upon two species in a distant galaxy that were involved in interstellar warfare. Make no mistake, they were very intelligent and possessed weapons powerful enough to obliterate a planet such as Earth with one strike. Your military has nothing that could defend against them, he said. But the two opponents were equally matched, so neither one was able to strike a lethal blow against the other. For every offensive weapon, the other side had a matching defensive one. There were millions of casualties, of course, but no decisive winning blow was struck by either side. The war simply went on and on. So what happened, I asked. I checkmated them, he said. Gus had summoned a cadre of volunteers through the high command, and within several months he had placed 10,000 burdens on each planet who had been genetically altered and disguised to pass as members of the two species. Because of their supreme intelligence, the four fifth columnists, fifth columnists worked their way into positions of great power and authority within an accelerated time frame. They became heads of military units, key scientists, government leaders, and chief executives of industrial complexes, including armament manufacturers through sabotage, subterfuge, misdirection, persuasion over great masses of the host populations, and careful manipulation of government policy, the means to make war on each side quickly deteriorated. Great interstellar warships mysteriously malfunctioned. Satellites fell from the skies. Communications broke down. Weapons of destruction emerged from the factory, factories, hey, woefully flawed, and, and then failed in combat. Finger-pointing and blame-lying led to a heated bickering at the social, as the social fabric began to unravel. It got to the point where each side's starship fleets became grounded. Scientifically, I was distracted back then. Hold on just a minute. One of the dogs just came through, so I just closed the door. They got the TV going on in there. Just FYI. Scientifically, both species were set back several thousand years and became incapable of even launching a communications or weather satellite that would stay in orbit for more than a few hours. The volunteer burdens were repatriated, and Gus moved observation ships into orbit around both planets and simply isolated the species. Today, key civilian and military authorities from Earth who have been selected as ambassadors 
have been extensively briefed on the nature of the burden approach to maintaining interstellar peace. There's the word peace, my friend. They will be very helpful in calming any fears among Earth's population as to the burden's intentions. Well, you might say, why didn't they intervene in our past with the wars that we've had? All the wars, World War One, World War Two. oh my God, just to name a couple, right? Well, the thing is, they only become involved when these wars are taken into outer space. Because it kind of contradicts universal law to lend a helping hand to a species on a particular planet. Hold on, just a minute. The dog came back in because we're allowed, we have free will and we're supposed to be making our own way. You know, and that's the way that we want it, too, right? Now, when we take our warlike machines into outer space, they won't permit that. But here on Earth, if we destroy each other, then that's just universal law. You have to pay the penalty for the mistakes you made, you know? I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't end like that for us. But if it does, then our souls will go our own ways, you know, and everything we've learned up to that point will take with us, and we'll be all right. But for future generations, you know, it wouldn't be so good, if you know what I mean. Of course, I don't hope that happens, and I pray. Are you saying prayers for everybody like you should? I do. So continuing on, but there will be resistance, Gus said rather ominously. I looked at him questioningly. From whom, I asked, who would be against peace? People who thrive on conflict, he replied. He said that the military ambassadors have been selected almost exclusively from what is known as, known on Earth as the free world. Representatives from repressive regimes have been virtually excluded because they cannot pass muster as good candidates to serve on the transition teams. This was, this book was written back in the 90s, and the plan was for the verdance to induct our species into the Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets. And the plan had been put into place, and the process was ongoing. And what they do is they abduct people from all walks of life, all different countries, all around the world, people who would be influential to make that thing, make that date and time happen in the future when we can have contact with that species, with the verdant. And they had considered us borderline, you know, based on our past of having a lot of warfare. But they made an exception because of all the good people in the world, like me and like you, all the artists and the lovers and the musicians and the decent people who just want to raise their families and 
and enjoy life. You know, it's a small minority of people that are causing all the troubles, right? The dictators, the tyrants, and the bullies, if you know what I mean. And so then 9-11 happened. That threw a monkey wrench into that plan, that process, and we never made contact. We were going to have a summit, and they were going to prove without a shadow of a doubt that they existed. They were going to transform a piece of southwest land, a land, piece of land. They're probably listening to me now out there, the, the verdant. hope they don't mind me talking about this. A piece of land in the American Southwest into a grassy oasis overnight. So that, that would have been one thing they could have done to convince people that they are for real, just like Jesus had to convince people he was for real and that there is an afterlife and God is real by doing all the miracles he did way back when, you know? Anyway. And it's like I was saying here, the burdens do not interfere in the internal affairs of any species on their home planets, like I was saying. They do have strict regulations in matters involving the stellar community with regard to weapons. They are not tolerated, period. The cardinal rule is that space is only for the peaceful. The greatest stumbling block that humankind faces in its transition to a society of star travelers We'll be dealing with and overcoming that element of society that is traditionally dealt in violence and that has the most to lose when swords are beaten into plowshares, Gus said. In this group, he included arms manufacturers and dealers and petty tyrants who will be dethroned. When contact has been firmly made, social and cultural changes will begin taking effect. And it is anticipated that the vast numbers of peace-loving people throughout the world will begin dismantling military forces as one of the first orders of business. If no weapons are allowed in space, there will become most likely a concurrent intolerance for devices of destruction on Earth. Those who can be expected to resist any change in the status quo will be authoritarian and dangerous people. The vast majority of them males whose power bases are threatened as the forces of peace sweep the world. That's why, my friends, I think we need more female leadership. Please vote for a female president at the next election. We need more female leadership because women are more able to bring us to a peaceful future than men are. Men have tried before in the past, and look at all the war we've had. Case closed, period. Female leadership, we need more of it. The mothers of our children do not want to kill their children. They want them to live and to thrive and to enjoy life. You know what I mean? But Gus offered a prediction. Isolated from the interplanetary community, the brutes of the world will also become increasingly isolated on Earth. Eventually, they will no longer be any match 
for their more peaceful brethren who will become overwhelmingly empowered as they take their place in the Federation of Star Travelers. It was an encouraging thought. And I'll leave you at that for that book. Now, what I just read is the truth. These burdens do exist. They're out there. They might be listening to my show. I think they like my show. They're up there in their spaceship. They probably like to tune in. You know, they have such amazing technology. They can listen anywhere on Earth. They can beam things up and down just like in Star Trek, you know. That's not a, that was not an original idea by them. That technology has existed for millions of years. It's just a matter of breaking things down to the smallest particle, which we haven't, we haven't been able to do. Matter transformation, my friend. The disassembly and reassembly of molecules, that's all it is, really. And light, the very nature of light, no, not too much about it. We have a lot to learn about the nature of light, light beams. You know what I'm saying? How am I doing on time? It's 35. Oh, right. Yeah, lots of time. Now, let me transition during this nice time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. The children are out of school until the beginning of the new year. And I go into work. Monday, it'll be kind of not too busy, which I like, you know. A lot of people are taking leave. I enjoy that. And so, indeed, it is the most wonderful time of the year. But I'm going to sing another song. I sang a solo last week in church, What Child Is This? And it went pretty well. Anyway, this one is called Let It Snow. And I think it might snow in a couple of days, Monday or Tuesday, get down in the 30s. And some places around the world, in the United States, it's cold enough to snow right now as I'm speaking. So this is one of my favorite songs, Let It Snow. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Well, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, I'll hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, all the way home I'll be warm. Well, the fire is slowly dying, and my dear, we're still goodbying. But as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. So this book I'm going to read from is called Within Heaven's Gate. I like to talk about ETs, UFOs, flying saucers, life out there in the universe, 
extraterrestrials, the universe is teeming with life because our creator, the creator of the universe, is awesome and magnificent and is magical and capable of doing anything. Now, let me ask you something. What do you think about magic? What magic? What does magic mean? Magic means being able to do anything, right? Magic means to be able to change anything into something, to change nothing into something. Magic means to do things which are beyond the natural laws of this physical world. Magic means to to wave a magic wand and have things move, kind of like, um, what's that called? I forget. Um, kinetic inter I can't remember the word, but it's the ability to move objects with your mind. Anyway, so magic, our creator is magical. The creator of the universe is magical. By the way, when you say your prayers, pray to the creator of the universe. I challenge you. I encourage you to do that because there is a creator of the universe and you are his or her, because the creator is both male and female. You should know that by now. If you don't, you will later. The creator is magical. He creates something out of nothing. Something out of nothing, my friends. There didn't wish to be anything once upon a time. I'm going to take you back billions of years into the past. I've only lived to be 67 years so far, but I can still comprehend what billions of years means, you know? Millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years into the past. Because I can think back when I was a child. I can think back to when I was two years old. So I can think back. I can imagine. Imagination. Einstein once said that there's nothing greater than imagination. Intelligence is good. I mean, you might have several degrees and be able to talk every language on earth, you know, and there's over 900 of them. But if you don't have imagination, then you don't have anything. So just imagine all those years ago, go back, back, back into the past, before the Big Bang, when nothing existed. We didn't exist. There were no planets, no stars, no moons. No people, no species of any kind, no trees, no plant life, no animals, nothing. Nothing existed except for the Creator, who is a spirit, who is a powerful, magical spirit, capable of doing anything anywhere. So for those people that don't believe that the Creator can't create life elsewhere in the universe, well... All I can say is you're entitled to your opinion, but I think your intellect is not where it should be. It should be more, you know? Is that a nice way of putting it? You should increase your intelligence to read more. You know, read more books. Learn more about the subject. Some people, they don't like to read, you know? Usually well-read people are pretty accurate with their beliefs. From what I've seen and heard, you know. But I don't want to say anything negative about my fellow co-creators, because you are a God in the making also. Everyone is. 
Anyway, this book is about heaven. Where we're going to go in the future, right? Hopefully, eventually, we all will. Because there's no such thing as eternal damnation, my friends. Because the Creator is forgiving even someone like Hitler, who killed six million Jews responsible for their death. Right. Is that you, Doug? That's okay. All right. All right. Keep going. I'll keep going. So someone like Hitler or Saddam Hussein, you know, that you might think is burning in the pits of hell and will burn there forever. No. Not true, because the Creator is merciful and forgiving. However, they do have to pay a penalty. God has a jail, which is known as hell, and they're rehabilitated, shall we say, there, and learn not to do that kind of thing again. Just like you wouldn't condemn one of your children to a lifetime of suffering and pain because they made a mistake because they didn't follow your guidance. That's why I believe Adam and Eve are not true. They're fantasy. It's a fantasy story. But I don't mind people believing in what they want to believe, you know, as long as they... No, let me rephrase rephrase that. As long as um, they want to... Everyone's at different stages of their spiritual development. You know, religion is a stepping stone to where they need to go. So many different religions in the world, you know, and... The point is with Adam and Eve, they fell from grace because they made a mistake. God said, don't eat from the, that tree of life. And um, God wouldn't have done that, said that to them, tempted them, and then cast them out of that location, wherever it was, somewhere in Iraq, you know, because they were disobedient, knowing in advance that they would do it because God is all-knowing. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I understand that some people believe that, so... We'll find, I'll find out someday. I'll probably see them in heaven, and they'll come up to me and say, Blake, you know, I was listening to your radio show. You said that you didn't believe in Adam and Eve. And I got here and found out you're right. And I, I used to believe that, and I apologize. And I would say, that's okay. You know, it's all good. So don't let me discourage or dishearten you, though, because I am a faith shaker. That's what I do because I am only concerned with the truth, and that should concern everybody. And the truth will really set you free. Do some research, more research on it. You know, maybe uh, that's why I think Muhammad Ali became a Muslim, because there was a lot of things he was disillusioned about the Christian religion, you know. And a lot of people are turned off by that kind of stuff. And the object is to get us all together on the same shit of music with so many different religions and people believe that you reincarnate to the West and other religion believes you reincarnate to the East and oh, they fight over it and they kill each other and it's just wrong, you know, playing wrong because they're not confident in what they believe in so they have to fight because they're not secure in their beliefs because they don't believe the truth. That's the bottom line. Let me read from this book. It's called Within Heaven's Gates, 
written by Rebecca Springer. She was very sick, and she had these visitations to heaven, where we are going to go. Just because I talk about different stuff, don't believe in certain things, doesn't mean I don't believe there's a heaven, and we're all going to go there. We are. That's where we came from, my friends. That's where we came from before you were born. You just don't remember because we were made to forget as part of the, oh, shall I say, requirements of coming to this planet. You have to pass through the river of oblivion where your past life memories are erased. Your pre memories of your pre-existence are erased. But it's for a very good reason. So we can learn the basic social values of this planet, of the lower evolutionary category, Learn to love each other. Learn from the darkness. You know, we have half a day of light and half a day of darkness. You know, it's a very beautiful planet revolving around the sun, rotating on its axis to provide us that half a day of darkness so our spirits and souls can learn from the darkness and from all this conflict, you know. So this chapter is called Chapter 14 of Inside Within Heaven's Gates by Rebecca Springer, The Best Reunion of All. On one occasion, and she got there to heaven, and now she's mixing with all these people, and she's seeing all these people, deceased relatives. She's having a great time. Of course, she'll come back into her body. Eventually, she's very sick and in a lot of pain, and then she will eventually die. But in the meantime, she wrote all this down, and they published this book. And it's a great book if you want to learn about heaven, Inside, Within Heaven's Gates, by Rebecca Springer. Chapter 14. On one occasion, I sat resting on the upper veranda of our home there in heaven. I had just returned from a somewhat strenuous journey to a distant city of the heavenly realm. From this part of the veranda, we caught rare glimpses of the river of life through the overhanging branches of the trees, which are laden with the fruit also, my friends. It's going to be good to see that, won't it? Just below us, at a little distance, we could see the happy children playing on the lawn, Everyone's so happy there in heaven. I can understand why. For one thing, there are no bodily fluids, so I don't have to go to the bathroom all the time. You know what I mean? Here, Frank found me, and throwing himself on a soft veranda, Frank is their brother. Lounge, lay for a time, motionless and silent. He looked as wearied as one can ever look in that life, but I felt no anxiety about him. He had been absent on some Earth mission. I knew that some of the fatigue and care of Earth will cling to us on such occasions until we are restored by heaven's soothing air and life-giving water. Yes, there is water in heaven, the river of life, my friends. And it has air there, too. He had not told me, as he sometimes did, where his mission had led him. And I had not asked, and I had not asked him feeling sure that he would tell me what I should know. My own recent duties had been unusually responsible, leading me, changing the page here, it's stuck. Why is it stuck? The book has been sitting out in the weather there, outside here in the patio, to a distant part of the heavenly kingdom. I had thrown all of my energies into the work assigned me by the Master, Jesus. Good news. After a time of rest, 
Frank arose to a sitting position and, regarding me for a moment in silence, said gently, I have news for you, little sister. A thrill, like an electric shock, passed through me, and in an instant I cried out joyously, He is coming! Her husband, she's talking about. He nodded his head with a sympathetic smile, but did not at once reply. He was stricken suddenly in the midst of his work, while apparently in perfect health, and has not regained consciousness, nor will he ever on earth. When was this? Three days ago. I have been with him almost constantly by day and night ever since. So that was his mission. As a spirit, he went down there and was hovering by his bedside during that time, apparently. Oh, why did you not tell me sooner? It was thought wise to spare you the unnecessary pain of knowing he was suffering when you could not minister to him. Will he know me as soon as the struggle is past? Yes, but he will be bewildered and weak. He will need stronger help and guidance than you alone can give. You will miss the rapture of the meeting, as it will be a little later on. What should I do? You know I will yield to your wiser judgment, even against the pleadings of my heart. A comforting visit, this chapter is called. I will not say, do not go. You may accompany me, if you wish. I only think that after the first bewilderment of the change has passed, after he has bathed in the waters of the river of life, he will be better prepared for your delightful reunion. You remember what the waters did for you and how bewildered and oppressed in spirit you were until you went into the river. It is the same with all of us. Where there has been serious trouble with the brain, it is even more necessary than, than on ordinary occasions. And that is the case with my brother, for her husband. He will not be himself until the cleansing waters have swept the clouds from his brain, soul brain, the soul, sir. You are always right, Frank. I will yield to your wise advice, although my heart cries out to rush to his side. When will you return to him? Immediately. There will be little time to wait, my brave-hearted, wise little sister. The delay will be neither sorrowful nor long. He rose and, bending over me, dropped a kiss lightly on my brow. In a moment, he passed from my sight. How strange, I thought, that even in this matter so near to my heart, I am able to yield unmurmingly. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the glad reunion so near at hand. But even more than that, I thank you for the sweet submission in all things that has grown into my life. I can yield to your will, even when you would permit it to be otherwise. I bowed my head upon my hand and gave myself up to mingled sad and happy thoughts. Was he, this dearly loved one, indeed unaware of his suffering? Would the Father mercifully spare him even the pain of the parting? Oh, that the time of his arrival were here, 
how could I wait even the brief while for the sight of his beloved face? Now I'm going to shift a little bit further and talk about the secret of marriage. Then the Savior, Jesus had come up and started talking with her. Then the Savior, the Savior of the world, Jesus, led me on to talk of the one so soon to come. He talked about her husband. I opened my glad heart to him and told him of the noble life, the unselfish toil, the high aspirations, the unfaltering trust of him whom I loved, her husband. I spoke of his strength and misfortune, his courage in the face of sore trial and disappointment, his forgiveness of even malicious injury. I then concluded by saying, he lived the Christianity many others only profess. He always surpassed me in that. The face of the master glowed in sympathy as I caught, as I talked. When I ceased, he said, I perceive that you have discovered the secret of marriage. He led me on until my soul flew upward as a lark. He unfolded mysteries of the soul life that filled my heart with rapture, but which I may not here reveal. At length, to my infinite surprise, I saw the rosy glow deepening across the sky. The master arose and pointing to the radiance, said, by the time you are ready to receive them, they will be here. With a smile and a touch that made a benediction, he departed. A glad song. As I arose and stood, I heard the triumphant notes of the angels' choral song. Yes, there are angels in heaven, my friends. We just forgot that they were there. Forgot you Okay, but you used to be with angels in heaven. We did. So my time is up. Thank you for listening. I hope I have provided some spirituality. I encourage you to do the same to someone. Pass it on. Share it on, so that we can actualize, realize peace in this world, my friends. I love you, and may the Creator of the universe bless us. Just like Tiny Tim said in A Christmas Carol, don't forget to watch that movie for Christmas. May God bless us, everybody. Bye-bye. Talk to you next week.